you please stand for the call to worship? Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb who was slain, lives. Worthy is the lamb to receive power and wisdom and glory and blessing. Myriads of the faithful freed and called to be a nation of priests of God sing praise. Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto God forever and ever. ever. Amen. Good morning. I trust you're all doing well on this beautiful Lord's Day. We gather here to worship the one true and living God, to join our voices, our spirits, all that we are, in expressing our gratitude thank, and our thankfulness uh, through words of thanksgiving to the one who has created us and redeemed us and who we call uh, our Father. 
today as we worship, there are those of you who are guests, and we want to welcome you uh, as we extend our a hand of, of uh, Christian fellowship by passing the peace of Christ in just a moment, but we want to also encourage you to put your name and any other information you would like to in a blue book that's the end of each pew, and uh, that's not just for guests, that's for everyone. So we would like for all to, uh, to uh, sign in your name there if you, if you would. Southside Baptist Church is here in the heart of Five Point South, built an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond. And we do so because we have found a place to join our hearts, minds, and spirits together and be the presence of Christ here. So I hope that you will continue to um, sense the warmth of the fellowship we enjoy as we also welcome you by passing the peace of Christ. So would you please do that now? Yet again, it is a good morning to uh, greet one another with the peace of Christ in the community of believers here that calls itself Southside, and a, and a further welcome to those who are visiting with us. We, um, we, we speak today of, um, as Dr. Roxborough has titled his sermon, Extravagant Grace. I think that's, a, that's one of those... Uh, lovely phrases that uh, is full of meaning but uh, it's pretty obvious that when Sarah and I were were uh, choosing hymns to go along with this that there would be one that we would sing which we will in just a moment uh, amazing grace if you need to open the hymnal do so but <laughs> if you don't that's okay too and we expect uh, uh, a rousing chorus of that in a few moments the other uh, the other references today are obviously to the 23rd Psalm, which is our first uh, uh, Bible reading, scripture reading today, and you'll find both anthems uh, today are uh, based on that Psalm. The first one is an old American tune called Resignation, arranged by the American composer Virgil Thompson in kind of a Sacred Heart style uh, of sorts, and the, the uh, offertory anthem uh, version of it is Brother James's Air, which is the tune name actually, and arranged by uh, the great Mac Wilberg, who is the director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, uh, and does its arrangements uh, in such as that. May we continue in the worship as we pray. Creator God, we thank you for the streams that we may walk beside and into the valley of death and out to a table that you have set before us. We thank you that we may come together on a beautiful Sunday morning and worship you 
contemplate that grace that is so enigmatic and yet so freely given. Keep us in your will both during this hour as we ponder these things and as we go forward to spread that grace amongst a needy world. We pray this in the name of the one who came to save. Amen. May we stand as we sing. Open him no or not. <laughs> For the last several weeks, we've had the privilege of Dr. Roxborough's students who have been in worship with us. And one of the things that um, they were asked to do was to look and experience worship, but to see how scripture is used. How it's used in worship, what it means to us, the place of prominence. Hopefully each week as we read the scripture, it is reinforced in your minds as, as all of us in all of our minds that we that scripture is something to be held very high. And because of that, today in our reading of our um, 
first reading from the Old Testament. We're going to be reading Psalm 23, and actually, we're going to read it responsibly from the hymnal, and you'll find that on page 47 in our hymnal. And as we read it today, we read it with a sense of that overwhelming and compassionate love that we experience from the one who has created us and who cares for us daily. If you would, please stand as we read it, if you're able, and we will read this responsibly. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. He leads me in right places and right paths for his name's sake. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. second reading is from the first epistle of John and in the fourth chapter and reading from the middle of verse 16 through the end of the chapter. God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and their sisters also. This is the word of the Lord. seated. Good morning. How are you today? All right. 
Come here, Martina. Come sit right here. Come sit right here for me, okay? What I want to do, tell me your name again. CJ? All right. Well, CJ, we're glad that you're here. Did you come with Grandma today? All right. We're glad you're here. All right? I want you to, well, someone's called DJ. Well, this is CJ here, okay? Let me ask you something, if you could help me. We just heard Dr. Roxborough read from 1 John. He said that God is love. You know, can you, can you tell me what love is? Okay, when somebody marries someone, that's love. Well, hopefully they do it for love. Hopefully that's, that's true. That when we give expression to the fact that we, we, have, a, we have a strong, what, what else might it be? Love. Let me ask you this. Do you have, you have, a, do you have a pet? You do? Well, do you? Yeah, first pet died, right? Well, it's obvious you know a lot about this, these dogs, right? Do you care for them? Do you have a pet? You don't have, I don't have a pet anymore. Our, our puppy passed away, so we don't have one now. But do you ever, have you had a pet? Well, you know, when we have a pet, what do we have to do for them? You have to feed them and take care of them and make a place for them to sleep and play with them and let them Martin come up here you can't do you do you don't you have to be Martin you have to when you take care of your pet do you play with them and feed them you're really careful of her so is your pet really important okay so you provided a place for her, right now when we read, when we read that the scripture that I read, it was about the good shepherd, about Jesus taking care of his own and making sure that everyone had everything that they needed, that he would make sure that you had a place to stay or in the sense that he would lead us through. Martin, come sit down. Come sit down. Mm. I bet Mr. Uh, Stewart could tell us about his pet. He had a pet that he had, it's a miracle dog actually, it sort of had a, uh, had some real bad sickness, but it's back and playing and happy and he takes very good care of that pet because he loves it. Many of you have those as well, right? If you're pet people, you, you love your pets. It's obvious. You see it time and time again. Yes, you do. You love your pet uh, because I know that your dad loves it and, and you also care for it. Well, the thing is that God loves us and cares for us even more than that. That more, but why does God do that? Because God is, God made us. Because God made us, we are his creation and he loves you. And I've got a little, can you read what this says? And what does it say? Where's the other one I have? 
All right. Now, what does it say on it? All right. And we know. It says that Jesus loves me. When you read it, hopefully you will understand that Jesus loves you and he cares for you. And he cares for you so much that he's always wanting to make sure that you remember that. So when you look down at this, CJ, what does it say? Jesus loves me. So sometimes we get to the place that we wonder, you know, maybe, maybe, God, huh? Well, it's in a circle. You're right. And that's like God's love. It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. If you read it and keep turning it around, it keeps on and keeps on. We want to give thanks that we have that kind of love available to us, that God cares for you. Well, that's a good question for you to ask your, uh, on, at another time or to ask your granddaddy. We'll talk about that more in detail. That's a tough one to explain. Um, but we do. God does love us. So as we end today, remember this. God loves you, cares for you, and is always with you and will be with you every moment of every day of all your life. Okay, Lord, watch over and protect these children. Care for them, love them, nurture them. May they always follow you. May they sense your love by our actions toward them. In Christ's name. As we come before God in our intercessory prayers this morning, I invite you to, to join me as I lead in our prayers. And at several sections of the prayer, I will use the words, your kingdom come. And if you would respond with the words, you will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Will you pray with me? God of the past, you have guided us, revealed your grace to us and provided for us. God of the future, you show us your way often opening one door and closing another, but you're the one who has promised to go ahead of us so that we need not fear the future. God of the present, you are here, right in the midst of us. You dwell within us by your Holy Spirit and walk with us day by day. God of life, of past, of present and future, beyond us, within us, we rejoice in your glorious love and worship you and come with confidence to pray to you this morning for ourselves and for others. We pray that you would inspire all who serve in positions of authority within this world, that they may be your servants, servants of your healing justice. Let your ways be known upon the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father God, cast out fear and trouble from our hearts. Your word says that perfect love casts out all fear. Lead all of humanity to the river of the water of your life and love. And let your ways be known upon our earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God of hope, embolden us with your vision for us that we may speak to others of your goodness and grace that the extravagance of your love may draw others into your community 
into this community of faith. Let your ways be known upon the earth, your kingdom come. Father God, comfort those in need of healing. We remember them in silence in your presence, those who are dear and near to us and upon our hearts at this time. Let your ways be known upon the earth, your kingdom come, your will be done. Grant to each of us to hear your voice today, speaking to us in the midst of all the noise and turmoil of our lives. May we take these moments to be still and know that you are God and hear your voice in our hearts. Let your ways be known upon the earth. May your kingdom come, your will be done. Hear our prayers, all of them, as we offer them in the name of our loving Savior, who taught us to pray with confidence and to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever.
the downside of having 48 students from your classes coming to church at Southside over the last three weeks is that there are 48 1,000-word essays waiting for me to grade sometime in the next seven to nine days. As you come to the end of one semester as a professor, you're always kind of looking forward to the next, sometimes with trepidation, but more often than not with a sense of excitement. And in the fall semester, I'll be teaching, I think for the fourth time, uh, a class, an upper level religion class on John Calvin. And John Calvin is popular with many of our students at Samford and John Calvin is unpopular with many of our students at Samford. I sometimes think that people really have never read him and so they don't understand him. One feature of Calvin that often surprises students and others is that Calvin argued that assurance, the assurance of God's love was the essence of our faith. That if you have faith, you have assurance. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Those who are aware of the love of God towards them need not fear. Therefore, assurance is of the essence of faith. Now, Calvin was living in a particular historical context in the 16th century, living in a period when the medieval church had urged people that they needed to be good, that they needed to merit the love of God and the hope of heaven. And Calvin stressed that our assurance of being accepted by God does not lie with anything within us at all, but only on the grace revealed in Jesus Christ, incarnate, crucified, and risen. We don't have to clean up our act before God, before he will love us. He already does love us. And as we receive his love, that love cleanses our hearts. We don't have to measure up to some standard in order to be lovable. God showers love on us whether we deserve it or not. When we open ourselves to the warmth and the light of God's presence, we, we find that even our darkest, our deepest secrets and the ugliest parts of ourselves are, are not beyond the reach of the love of God. The grace and the mercy and love of God comes to us and there is nothing that God cannot heal. There is nothing that God cannot love. Upheld, surrounded, enfolded by such love, who needs be afraid? Assurance is of the essence of faith. And so in this fifth Sunday of Easter, wonderful that it lasts so long in the liturgical tradition, the Apostle John speaks of the extravagant grace of God which we find in and through Jesus Christ. The fourth chapter of this little epistle is remarkable. It's the only place that I can find in the whole of the Bible where on two occasions we read God is love. There are many other verses that express the love of God, such as John's gospel, God so loved the world. But here, on two occasions, John says, God is love. I've got a friend in, in London. She has been pastor of Bloomsbury Baptist Church for at least a decade. This Sunday is her final Sunday as pastor. She's moving to pastures new in the Midlands of England. Ruth posted on her Facebook page this morning that she was going to preach her final sermon entitled, God is Love. Get over it. There are some people that just can't cope with the idea that God is love. They want something else. But the essence of God eternally, 
before he was ever the creator, before you could ever say that God is powerful, God is, God is just, God is holy, God is eternally a God of love within his own being. And so John is captivated with this idea and he gives expression to it in a whole variety of different ways. And in the second chapter, he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And then chapter three, behold what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. John has no doubt. His heart is filled with the assurance of God's grace. And so here in this passage, God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And gave his son to be a atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love and there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. William Sloan Coffin once made the observation, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. Now human analogies can never be perfect, but they are entirely sometimes unavoidable. Watch the growth of a child and notice that the child who can give love is the child who has been reared in a loving atmosphere. Love grows from love, while from apathy grows coldness, fear, retreat. Now, if we're honest, we all fear at different times in our lives. And indeed, there are various biblical references which even encourage us to know the fear of the Lord in our hearts. But the fear of the Lord is a reverence for God. It's not a fear of frightening, of being frightened of God. It is rather a fear of grieving him because we love him and because he loves us. So to be assured of God's love means according to John, to John that we have complete and utter confidence to come boldly into the presence of God and pray. We have boldness. We don't fear. We have boldness. One of my favorite short essays by Jürgen Moltmann is a, a little essay in which he wrote some years ago, what are we doing when we pray? He compares and contrasts various postures of prayer that we adopt. He talks about the Muslim position of falling on one's face in prayer, reminiscent of, of a slave's subservience before the absolute power of a despot, fearful, frightened. He then speaks about the Christian posture of prayer in the Western church where when I say, shall we pray, what do you do? You bow your heads probably. He says, we may kneel, we may fold our hands, we may lower our heads, we may close our eyes. We may withdraw within ourselves, assuming a position of contrition, crouched down as if we're doubled up in pain, acting out our helplessness, our unworthiness and our humility. But then he says, there's a completely different way that we discover in some of the catacombs of, of Naples and of Rome. And if you look at the front of your bulletin this morning, you will see what is one of my, my favorite frescoes from the catacomb of Priscilla in Rome in Italy. It's a depiction of a worshiper, of a woman standing upright 
head raised, eyes open, hands open, palms upward. She is, most people think, the leader of worship, a woman in a patriarchal society. But it's the posture of prayer that strikes me. It's one who, is, who has an attitude of hopeful expectation, loving readiness to receive and to embrace the love of God. God is not feared as a super patriarchal figure, but one who is addressed as Abba, the way that Jesus taught us to pray. One of the ironies of 1 John 4 being a lectionary reading is that Actually, the psalm that's associated with it is Psalm 22, although it was lovely to read Psalm 23 this morning. But Psalm 22 is the lectionary reading. Now, the lectionary reading of Psalm 22 is difficult because it's a psalm of lament. It's a psalm that Jesus prayed when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why on earth have the, 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 the people who have compiled the lectionary readings put Psalm 22 with 1 John 4? I think to help us to understand that when we come into the presence of God often in worship, we don't sense that love. We are fearful. We are fearful because of all the circumstances of life, life that, are, that is affecting us at this particular moment in time. So we come with questions. We come with doubts. We come with our anxieties. Walter Brueggemann says, when God must only be praised all the time, prayer has become a lie and a cover-up. Christian practice combines lament, complaint, asking questions of God, but does so by coming into the presence of the God who is love, who hears our lament, who understands our cries, because in the person of his son, he has cried them himself. And so we come into the presence of God this morning while life's dark maze I tread, and griefs around me spread, be thou my guide. Bid darkness turn to day, wipe sorrow's tears away, nor let me ever stray from thee aside. God is love, and this God is with us. Now, I could stop there, and John could have stopped there, but he doesn't, because he wants to draw out something else from this theme of the love of God. And it's a, it's a repeat of something John has said before. John repeats himself several times, which means that it's okay as a pastor, a preacher, to repeat yourself, especially if the theme is important. John takes from this message of the love of God, that God is love, that we who have received this unmerited grace, this extravagant grace, are called to demonstrate it towards others. How can you love somebody whom you've, whom you have not seen if you don't love the people whom you have seen. Seeing ourselves as God's beloved means that we express that same love to others, our sisters, our brothers in Christ. Receiving the love of God is in one sense unconditioned, but it's not without its consequences. God commands us to love as he has loved us. In case we haven't understood the seriousness of this, John expresses it in a way that leaves us no room for doubt. He says, just as God is, so are we in the world. John's saying that if God is love and God lives in us, we embody the love of God for the world, and so God's love is incarnate within us, and so we demonstrate that love towards others. 
The author of 1 John calls us to love one another. It's an old commandment, it's a new commandment. John plays around with them both. Not to like each other, not to have best chums with each other, not to say they're all my BFFs, best friends forever, but those for whom we are concerned, for whose welfare we are committed. The first century Christians for whom John was writing were apparently a group that had known division within this church. And John speaks about love so much because that division had caused turmoil, turmoil in heart as they thought about other people. They all didn't agree with, their, with each other in terms of some theology perhaps or some practice. But John is calling them to love one another as God has loved them. The whole foundation of the argument suggests that if we love others as God loves us, that there's no boundaries to that love. We don't build barriers, we build, we build bridges. The love of God is something that is beyond the measure of our mind, as the final choral benediction will remind us. For the love of God is broader than the measure of the mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. That's the love of God towards us. Now, Jesus often upset people because he seemed to go against that idea. Jesus often upset people. He would have upset us as well if, we're, if we really think about it. Jesus came and he touched people who were considered untouchable. He welcomed people who were considered not to be welcomed. His harshest words were reserved not for sinners, but for those who felt that they were righteous, who saw some of God's children as beneath their attention and unworthy of their love. I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, but love is not first and foremost an emotion. It's an action. When God makes a choice to love, God's heart is set in it. God will not be moved from that love. The God who has been betrayed time and time again, according to a book like Hosea in the Hebrew Bible, is the same God who has come to us, as Hosea says, to lead the people with cords of kindness, with bands of love, who lifts them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. That's how God's love is. It's dear, it's intimate, it's compassionate. It's reckless, it's extravagant. And God is the love which has been placed into our hearts to express it to one another. I think I found that the hardest aspect of such love is being able even to be willing to be reconciled to those who have hurt us. Forgiveness is hard. There's a journey of forgiveness. It's the same journey of forgiveness that God had to take in Jesus Christ. Painful, costly. It's a journey that our Savior took to Calvary. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Love one another as God in Christ, says Paul, has loved you. Sometimes that love only comes when we engage in an action towards another. If you've seen the, the movie Pay It Forward, you remember the teacher's assignment at the beginning of the year was that his class should remember and think about something they might do to make the world a better place. He encouraged them to experiment. Trevor, one of the class members, took the charge seriously as he stepped out. His effort expanded and grew, not only in his own behavior, but in the behavior of the one he helped. They passed on the blessing to others. They paid it forward. 
I experienced it once when I was in a drive-thru at Starbucks and I made my order and when I went to pay, uh, the lady said, oh, the person in front of you paid it for, for you. I didn't know who he was. He didn't know me or she. Paying it forward. Thinking of doing things not for what we get back from doing it, but just for the sake of doing it. As we are open to others, God is open to us. As we are open to God, we open ourselves out to the needs of others. Because God has poured his love into our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is love, my friend Ruth was preaching this morning. God is love. Get over it. Will you pray with me? God of grace and love and mercy, as we reach and receive the extravagant nature of your love, grant us to be loving in return. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn focuses on that same theme, 586, Rise to Sing, Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
May we pray? Our fathers, thank you for our many blessings and bless our tithes and offerings of money, time, and talents. Bless us as we are here to hear and study thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
loving Lord, we present these tithes and offerings. We ask that you would bless them. And Lord, may we also experience your love, your mercy, and your grace in a way that enables us to go out and extend that love to others. Bless these offerings, and may they be used for that purpose. Amen. Be seated for just a moment, please. To those who are our guests, we want to welcome you again and also invite you to linger long enough that we can give you a Southside welcome uh, there at the Narthex with some uh, lemonade and cookies, and we'd like to speak to you there. Uh, some of you have been away for a while, but we're uh, glad that you are here and able to be back with us. There's one, Jonathan, we're glad you're here, and um, others that may be here that also. But anyway, we're glad that you're here today and hope that uh, this week will be a good week for you all. Okay. One of the best things about the job I have is I get to give away free tickets to many events. If you'd like to see Children of Eden with the amazing David Phelps and a wonderful student cast at Sanford this afternoon at 2.30, come down here and tell me and I'll get you free tickets, as many as you like. It's beautiful. It is. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. So we get not only an offer, but also a testimony. <laughs> you can't beat that. <laughs> As we go, and Dr. Roxborough comes and gives our benediction, may we go in the love that we do experience through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we close, I want to use a benediction that a dear friend in Scotland composed and used earlier on today in Montrose Baptist Church on the east coast of Scotland. Receive this as God's benediction. Eternal God and Father, you create us by your power and redeem us by your love. Guide and strengthen us by your spirit that we may give ourselves in love and service to one another and to you. Amen.